as a spirit-filled people. But it's one thing to apply God's word within the gathered church, within the assembly. It's another thing entirely to apply God's word within the home, is it not? Because when we move it to the home, we're talking about 24-7, like all the time, in play. And that's what we have starting with our text today, moving all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. Instructions for living the spirit-filled life within our homes. So can't forget what we looked at last week. We need, we need the context of what comes before and what comes after as verses 18 through 21 are telling us what? They're telling us to be filled with the Spirit. That's the command. It's a command for every single Christian to be filled with the Spirit. And one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is what? Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning, at least in part, that if you're filled with the Spirit, you're living a life of submission. Now, the question is, to who? Well, first, to who? Well, to Christ above all. Heeding His Word. He is head over all of the church. And then we're to submit to who? Well, to those the Lord has placed in positions of authority over us. See, if we're to understand verse 21 rightly, we, we can't do so by, by looking at it in isolation like, like some attempt. We have to look at it in overall context. Because some Christians, they look at verse 21 and the submitting to one another and an attempt to interpret it as a counseling out of marital responsibilities as we find in the text today canceling out of structures of, of authority thinking that we're all simply to to be mutually submissive to one another with no structure of authority or responsibility and honestly push against any kind of idea of authority but with that there's no mention of such canceling anywhere in the bible and two, it's clear from what follows that Paul had specific relationships in mind when he speaks of submitting to one another. So not submitting to one another in absence of authority, but under proper authority. Because what comes immediately after verse 21? The instructions that we've already looked at, wives submitting to husbands, as we're, we're looking again, looking at today. But then in chapter 6, 1 through 9, which we often want to overlook as well, we're told how children are to obey their parents and how bond servants are to obey their earthly masters. In each situation, submitting and obeying one, uh, the one that God has placed over us in authority as one would to the Lord. Submitting and obeying as we do unto Christ which means if we consistently apply uh, the, the canceling out of the authority structure, as some attempt to do, like we're going to use verse 21 to cancel out everything that comes after, then by that logic and by that consistency, we must also cancel out children obeying and honoring their parents as to the Lord. Is that really what the text says? No, it's not. 
Not to mention of the, of the 37 times in the New Testament outside of Ephesians 5.21, the word that is translated as submitting is always done in reference to a relationship where one party has authority over another. From Jesus submitting to his parents, to Christians submitting to God, as Christians submitting to gospel workers. Nowhere in the New Testament does the word used here for, for submitting refer to reciprocal virtues of things like patience and kindness and humility expressed to one another. Now, all of those things are good things, right? We need to have them within the life of the church and express them to one another, but that's not what's being taught here. What's being taught here is a submission to God-given authority. And ultimately, spoiler alert here, what we're looking at today refers to Christ and the church. It's realizing from the very beginning, marriage has nothing to do with personal pleasure and everything to do with the glory of God. But if, if the glory of God is the focus of our marriage, then we will in turn find the greatest joy and the greatest pleasure, just as God has designed. Completely counter-cultural. So let's look first, the life of the Spirit-filled wife. We're going to get to the life of a Spirit-filled husband momentarily. But looking at verse 22 again, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, what I want to do here is ask and answer a series of questions to help us understand this text. Then we're going to use the same format when looking at the role of, of husbands, okay? So number one, who is Paul addressing? Addressing wives, right? So not women in general, but married women. Women who are married to men. Anything to the contrary, not a biblical marriage. Now two, what is Paul calling wives to do? To submit to your own husbands. He's not calling them to submit to men in general, but to their own husbands. Number three, how are wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord? So wives are to submit to their husbands as they would submit to the Lord. Which naturally brings about the question of what is meant by the word submit. We've already addressed it in some degree already, but when we get right down to it, it means what we think it means. It's a call for, for humble obedience. It's a call to, to fall under the authority of, which is why the controversy and the uncomfortableness exists especially when we're playing modern context into it. Some of you feeling yourself unsettled even in this moment, bristling against this idea. If this is you, then take a moment and consider why this may be. Maybe it's the context you're bringing to the text. Let's look at the next question. 
Number four, why are wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord? Like, what could possibly be God's reason for this instruction? Seems barbaric. It seems patriarchal, right? Like, what is up with this? We'll consider verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, this isn't a question that you're going to find on the screen, but one we need to ask anyway. Like, what does it mean for the husband to be the head of his wife? Because again, some, some have attempted to interpret the, the word head here as, as carrying the idea of being the source. Of, or the origin of, rather than having authority over. Stating that Christ is the source of the church. But this idea of source and origin, it, it doesn't work for multiple reasons. One, a, a careful study of 2,336 instances where the classical Greek word for, for head is used, So not only in Scripture, but in all classical Greek literature, in not one instance was it discovered where this word had the meaning of source or origin. It's always referred to as authority, which means whether we like it or not, head equals one having authority over another. It's why we all understand what is meant when someone says so-and-so is the head of a corporation or an institution, or a university, or school. They have been given authority over that corporation, institution, or school in order to lead. But now the question is, again, not, not a question you're going to have on the screen, but what does it mean for the husband to be the head of his wife in this context? Because we don't want in any way to build our understanding on man-made assumptions, only on textual evidence. Well, to find out the meaning, again, we have to look at what follows. And what is it that follows? Saying, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Meaning the husband is to exercise his headship through sacrificial servant leadership. Not through domineering. Not through abuse. Christ is the Savior of the church because he did what? Because he lovingly lived and died for the church. The church being his bride. We are the bride of Christ. Which means if husbands are to faithfully lead their wives as Christ, then we must be willing to to lead with the kind of love that is willing to die in every way for our wife. I don't think this just applies, implies a, a physical death, but dying to oneself in every way to care for and to lead her like Christ. We'll look at this more when we get to the role of husbands, but I think of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, as he said, for even the Son of Man came not to, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, next question is one of direct application. What does the submission look like in practice? Well, I believe in verse 24, it tells us, or at least gives us a pretty good insight into what it looks like. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So here we're talking about the character of the wife. And when one reads, wives should submit in everything to their husbands, character is going to be tested, right? It just will. When we read a text such as this, so many questions coming up in my mind as it pertains to application. But a couple of things first is what this doesn't mean. What, one, this in no way suggests that a wife is inferior to her husband. She is not. Genesis 1 and 2 are clear. Both men and women are equal in value and in worth. Both men and women equally bear the image of God. If we are in Christ, we are equally one in Christ. So no superiority or inferiority in that sense. Differing roles. Just differing God-given roles. Second thing here, submitting in everything doesn't mean that the wife is to be a slave to her husband. Now, it's easy to see how one could read the words in everything as meaning absolutely everything. Maybe that's where some of the controversy comes from. But it's not everything without exception. Rather, it's in everything that is consistent with the character and will of Christ. A wife must never follow her husband into sin. Why? Because Christ is her supreme authority. And he would never call us to do that which Scripture clearly forbids. Which is why it's important for women to know God's word. Women need to be students of God's word. Having the ability to discern the will of God and apply it to her life. So that's what submission is not. But now the question is, what is it? Well, again, it's as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so how is the church to submit to Christ? Well, joyfully, willingly, obediently. Meaning a wife is to submit to her husband in the same way as we, the church, are to submit to Christ. He is to be like Christ to her. No way that he can atone for her sins or anyone else's sins, but he is to be like Christ to her. Maybe you hear that and you're like, okay, that's one thing if he's loving me like Christ. But what if he's not? What do I do then? This is the situation I hear all too often. Women who are trying to discern how to faithfully submit to an unbelieving husband or how to submit to a husband who refuses to lead or a husband who just doesn't lead well or faithfully. What do you do? I believe you as a Christian wife can with humility and grace and a loving spirit still honor the, the headship of your husband and still stand in opposition to ungodly leadership. Will it be difficult? Yes, as is life in a fallen world. 
When two sinners say, I do, even under the best of circumstances, marriage is difficult. Now, if they're unequally yoked, it's even more so. One looking to faithfully follow Christ and the other isn't. It's going to make it even more difficult. So what do you do? Well, honestly, it depends on the situation. But I, I don't believe a wife is to remain silent in the home. If she disagrees, she loves her husband well to speak up. If it's a decision that will lead to sin, humbly explain why you will not follow. If it's a decision you disagree with and it will not lead to sin, discuss. Share your thoughts. But be willing to humbly die to yourself and follow his leadership. But now in saying that, I can only think of maybe one situation that came down to me making a final call in our marriage. Like big decision time. Like only one time, almost every other big life decision, Leslie and I have really made together. Maybe it's because we learned the mistakes I made in that first one. I don't know. But we, we've made these decisions together. And when we haven't been on the same page, and that happens, we've waited, we've prayed, we've sought outside counsel. Brothers, value the opinion and the insight of your wives. We need their insight. See, healthy leadership, it, it, it doesn't drag people along but gives them every reason to follow. Good leaders listen to those they have been given the authority to lead. Friends, I question the heart of a husband who does not value the insight of his wife. At the same time, I I question the heart of a wife who refuses to submit to godly leadership. But now that brings us to the the life of the spirit-filled husband following the same approach, same series of questions. The first being, who is being addressed? Husbands. So not men in general, but husbands, men who are married to women according to God's design. Question number two, what is the husband called to do? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Not another man's wife, but your wife. But the real question is, how are we to love them? That's what we want to know, right? How, how are we to do this? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And how is it that Christ loved the church? By giving himself up for her in absolutely every way. Both in life and in death. So I'll define that with four sub-points. One sacrificially living for her. This being a modeling of Jesus in a foot-washing type of love. Christ's headship serving as our model. A life poured out in sacrificial love for his bride. Loving and leadership and leading with the utmost gentleness and humility and grace. Two, sacrificially dying for her. This is a road, a road to Calvary, love. Husbands dying to yourself in every way to love your wife like Christ loved the church. 
So yes, a, a willing to die physically if necessary, but, but de- dying to your personal desires and ambitions as necessary if well, as well. Even those good desires and those good ambitions. If they in any way keep you from loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Don't attempt to justify a pay raise or a promotion as loving your wife well, if if accepting that position will place an unjust burden upon her, even if it is your dream job. Sacrificially take initiative in, in leading. Number three, just consider how Christ took the initiative in coming to, to us, meeting us where we're at in, in our sinful state to initiate a love relationship with us. Now, how do we do this? How do we take this initiative in godly leadership? Well, I've heard John Piper describe it as a husband being the one who is most often to use the word let's. Let's pray together. Let's let's grab a babysitter and let's go out on a date. Let's discuss our children's education. Let's go to church. Let's do these things. Just taking initiative to lead. Just consider within your home who's taking the initiative to say let's. Whose idea was it even to come to church today? Now this doesn't mean in any way that wives can't say let's. But husbands need to be taking the initiative to gently and lovingly lead. Number four, sacrificially being committed to her until death. As the marriage vows say, for better or for worse, sickness and in health until death do us part. Marriage is designed by God being a lifelong covenantal commitment between a husband and a wife. Even though extremely difficult, See, the call to love her as Christ loved the church isn't a call to love her on the basis of whether or not she submits to you as unto the Lord. She may not. Just as a husband may not always lead in godly ways. But regardless, as husbands, we're to love our wife, the wife that God has given us with an unwavering commitment and an unwavering loving pursuit. Faithfulness with our eyes, faithfulness with our minds, faithfulness with our hearts, even if she has been unfaithful. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. We're an adulterous bride that he came to redeem. He never stopped pursuing and he never stopped loving. It's the love God has always shown to his children. A never giving up, never ending, always and forever love. The question is why? Specifically, why does Christ love us this way? Number three, what is the purpose of Christ's love? Well, quickly, look with me at verses 26 and 27. Paul telling us here the, the purpose behind why Christ gave himself up for his bride. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, what does this mean? Well, simplest and most direct explanation possible, the water, though some believe is baptism or some will say it's baptism by the Spirit, is likely, based upon all the textual evidence, is in this case referring to the customary bridal bath of the day. So preparing herself for her husband on her wedding day. And the word referring to the Bible and the gospel that it contains. Meaning when a husband takes his wife as his bride, he becomes accountable for the spiritual welfare of his wife to lead her in knowing and understanding and applying God's word. Now hear me on this. This doesn't mean that women can't learn in other capacities and from other people. Women can and should learn from other men and other women. I pray for God to raise up men and women within this body who want to know God's word deeply and who desire to teach it to others. But if it's husband's, but it's husbands who are accountable to God for the spiritual, spiritual welfare of our wives, similar to how elders are accountable to God for the teaching of the church. So from a point of personal application to husbands, do you desire your wife's holiness more than you desire pursuing the promotion at work or your hobbies or your own interests? Are are you taking the initiative to lead her and your family in becoming more like Christ through the teaching of God's word within the home? Is your love helping her grow in Christ-likeness? Are you modeling a life in the word for her to follow? As I heard one pastor ask, is your wife more like Christ because she is married to you? Or is she like Christ in spite of you? Number four, what does it mean for a husband to love his wife as his own body? Because this is what we have being taught in verses 28 through 31. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What's all this mean? Well, I believe verse 31 is the key to understanding. Verse 31 is pulled directly from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and the creation ordinance. God's design for marriage from the very beginning being a husband and a wife, they get married. Man leaves the care of his father and mother to hold fast to his wife, to care for and to provide for her, to love her, and the two shall become one flesh. So no longer two singles living separately, but one couple living together with the husband serving as the head. And as the head, the husband is to love his wife as he would his own body, providing for her, 
caring for her, loving her. You're not in any way using her, brothers, to fill your needs. No, we are called to nourish her and to cherish her, just as Christ does the church. Again, love her as you would your own body, even if it means sacrificing your dreams to do so. Which brings us to the culmination of this passage. and The why behind it all. The purpose of the marriage union. Verse 32. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The Christian marriage, number three, is a picture of Christ and the church. Because what is the church? A collection of diverse people from every walk of life united as one in Christ, who is our head. And this is what the institution of marriage was created by God from the beginning to represent, the loving and committed relationship between Christ and the church. Husbands serving as the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And the church doing what? Submitting to Christ. So also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands, as though they are submitting to Christ. The marriage relationship being a living, breathing picture of the gospel. Light in the darkness, completely countercultural. Thus, verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So for those of you who are married, does what we've looked at today describe your marriage? Is this what you're striving for? If so, praise God. Praise God. And yes, we all have plenty of, of areas of needed growth, plenty of areas of needed repentance, a desperate need for a continued filling of the Spirit. None of us have mastered this. But if the answer for you today is no, consider why. Maybe today is the first time you've ever heard such teaching. If so, it's fair. But now how do you respond to the preaching of God's word? Or maybe you you don't agree with what you've heard today. Again, I, I encourage you to wrestle honestly with the question of why. Is it because I got it wrong? If you believe so, let's talk. Let's let's wrestle through the text together. Or is it because you don't like what God's Word says? Or maybe you and your your spouse, you agree with it, but you just simply neglected to put God's design into practice within your family. If that's the case, remember, you, you can't control the actions or the desires of your spouse. Only your own. Submission and love are not something we demand of of the other. They're what are freely given from a spirit-filled life. Therefore, as difficult as this may be, regardless of your, your spouse's response or desire, be the light in the darkness and see how the Lord uses your faithfulness in the life of your spouse to glorify himself. And for those of you who are single and you're desiring to be married one day, This is what you're waiting for. 
This is what you're praying for God to provide. Don't settle for anything less. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage and all that it represents. Thank you that even when we've been unfaithful to you, you remain faithful to us. And may our marriages be a a faithful expression of your love to us for the watching world to see. May we stand as a bright light in the darkness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing of the great faithfulness of our mighty God.